treasure set apart and sanctified for the purposes of the king. Forgive us, Lord, where we have tried to be selfish and do our own thing. Help us to surrender afresh this day. We surrender now our lives and our hearts, our souls and our finances to you. Find us faithful, God. Help us to be courageous and to bring our tithes in. When we don't see a way, but we say, I trust my God. Father, I've seen you the last three decades over and over and over provide for my family. I've seen you do it for others. And God, help us to have uh, the desire to obey you. Oh God, in your house where there is obedience, there is joy unspeakable. Come and fill this house with that kind of spirit. Thank you for children, Father. They're a gift from you. We rejoice in the name of our King. Amen. Be seated. First Touch team will get the baskets back to you now. You can put your connection cards in there, any prayer requests, money, visas, watches, car keys, anything you feel led to do. And hey, this morning, I know I said probably something a few weeks ago, but I, I just think it's so cool. We've got like baseball players in the house, and like summer's all about baseball. And if you ever go down to the riverfront, you watch the biscuits. But for Nevin, for you and John, man, thanks for being in the house today, man. I love when y'all can get off the road, and uh, that's awesome. When's your next game? Tonight. Isn't that cool? Like they're going to have the favor of the king. I pray y'all do, man. I hope y'all have so much favor when y'all play. Anyway, we're glad you're here. Well, today we're going to be looking at Philemon as they'll continue to pass the baskets to you. And uh, I want to get you to open your Bibles to Philemon. Now, I want you to turn to the first chapter, if you will, as you're turning your Bibles. That's a little Bible humor. It's kind of weak. Well, it's only one chapter. It's only one page. It's like a postcard or an email in our vernacular. And it's right before Hebrews. I helped you now. It's after Titus and it's before Hebrews. And wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to really be a smart aleck. I'm using a different Bible today, and I, and I can't even read the page numbers. Well, I was going to give you a page number, but I literally can't see them. Yeah, I did. 1,223. That really helps a lot, doesn't it? Philemon. I've preached on this book a few Probably, it's like the third different way that I've tried to do it in the last 15 years. But uh, as we're unleashing the New Testament one book at a time, this is fitting. We come to this book, and the writer is the Apostle Paul. And he writes this book trying to bring encouragement. Uh, he's trying to challenge somebody to do something they probably ordinarily wouldn't do. There's several people listed, but there's three main characters. You can write these down across the top. The three main characters are the Apostle Paul, they are Philemon, and they're Onesimus. Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Those are like, if you get these three characters down, then you got the book. And, and the great thing is you, you can just sit there and you can just read this book in a really simple reading. I mean, you, I mean it's, it's one page and you go, man, I got the whole book. But it is packed. And, and my prayer today is that somehow God will allow me to unpack it for you and for myself and that we can get biblical truth out of this book today. So as we look there at the book of Philemon, I hope that it'll, it'll speak to you. Because here's a big question. Does genuine, authentic Christianity really work? Does Christianity really work? Or is it just a simple list of rules, regulations, and tenets to adhere to, to follow, to make us mere religious? No. But does genuine, authentic 
Christianity work? And I might say a resounding, wait a minute, a resounding, yeah, it works. Now, if you don't get the real deal, you don't get impacted, you don't get infected with the real Jesus and the real gospel, then it doesn't work. I mean, you might as well go to Oprah or somewhere else and try to say, I worship at that mountain. But if you really get Jesus, he will bring an eternal, lasting, significant change to your life. And the thing is, it's not just a work for one time. It's an ongoing, sanctified process that you endure and you learn and you grow. And as Romans says, hopefully you conform to the image of Christ throughout your life. So with that being the intro this morning, I just want you to know that Philemon gives you and I hope. It, it's full of hope. It, it's a, it has a, let's just look at a little bit of it. Open there. I've asked you to turn. It says, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. Now, where does Paul find himself again? In jail, under house arrest. You know, Paul penned so many letters in the New Testament there. That's where he tended to do his best work. And then he goes on, he says, But to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and to Athea, our sister. Athea is probably Mrs. Philemon, okay? And seriously. And to Archippus, or Archippus. And who that is, that's, uh, that could be their son. Some have said, some commentators say, might just be an elder or a soldier in the church. It says, And our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Now, this is not in your notes, but I just want you to notice. The church of the living Christ, they had synagogue. They had temple in the Old Testament. But when Pentecost and Jesus ushers in the church, the church did not start meeting in buildings to the third century. The third century. Because they were home groups. And all across the world, these house churches have continued to be established. And there's kind of a new movement now about house churches. Then there's some challenges with house churches, daycare, children's education, student ministry, weddings, funerals, a lot of the things. But there's some cool things about, and we do it in small groups where we go and we eat your chips and stain your rugs and hang out at your house and break bread. It's a cool deal. But here's what I know. Philemon is a very wealthy businessman, and he probably had a big house. And so he says, hey, we can have church at my house. The churches would be about the size of the house. You know, if you had a big house, man, you're probably going to have a big church in those days. But in the third century, we find here the church is meeting in his home. Now, let's move on down. In verse 3, he goes, Now grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4, And I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you right now. We're going to be in and out of this book all morning. But what I want to say to you, there's, there's some big themes. I just want you to kind of write on the side of your notes. Some of you take notes, and I see them, and, and some of you, you're just brilliant, and you don't take a note, and some of you don't bring a pen. You know, shame on you. You should do that. Here you go. Here's the big themes. The book is all about the power of forgiveness. Write that down. It's all about forgiveness, and we, and we see how somebody forgives somebody, and they really get uh, reinstated. It's all about the essentials of uh, mending broken relationships. Is that a word for anybody in the house today? You ever had a broken relationship? Or you ever had a bunch of broken relationships? 
It's all about that. Here's the third thing. It's about taking God-honoring risk. See, Onesimus takes a risk. He takes a risk for his life, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And then the fourth thing is it's all about the foundations for radical social change and transformation. So it just begins to take on a new quality, a new character. Now, I'm just giving you a lot of extra material along with what you've got, but if you just kind of broke this down just over these few verses, in verses 1 through 7, it would be Paul's appreciation. I thank my God. That's where we ought to start today. I thank my God for my salvation. I thank my God for my church. I thank my God for my health. I thank my God for whatever. Just to begin to fill it in. Paul's affectionate. He has great appreciation. If you go on to verses 8 through 16, then Paul says, Now I appeal to you. He's making this plea. He's, he's appealing to Philemon. Philemon, I could order you to do this, but I make my appeal to you, brother. I ask that you do this. And then if you go to verses 17 through 25, then Paul backs it up with an assurance. He says, I'll tell you what, I'll pay you back. Philemon, if something's owed to you, if there's a debt, I'll pay you back. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a great debt and somebody paid it for you? How'd you feel? Grateful. My new best friend. Or you think about your spiritual life. We owed a debt we could not pay. And who paid it? Jesus Christ. So we should be eternally grateful to the Heavenly Father because of what he's done for us in Christ. Now, if you look down, I want you to jump down to verse 15 and 16. Move all the way over there. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while, this is Onesimus, was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Those are like the key verses. Hey, Onesimus is a thug. That's what we would say. Uh, Onesimus is wanted. Onesimus is a felon. Onesimus, there's just not good things. I mean, if we were watching TV on TV Jerusalem, we would see Onesimus come up every day. I mean, a runaway slave takes off with his, uh, with his owner's stuff, and he goes off. Let, let me borrow from a guy. His name's Don Anderson. I heard him at a Bible conference back in the 80s, and I like the way he said it. He says, uh, the Apostle Paul went to a local rotary meeting one day. He did. And he, and he went down to the local. Uh, That's awesome. If she could do that every time I need help, that would be phenomenal. Went down to a local rotary. Yeah, I'm talking about Paul. Went down to a local rotary club meeting, and Paul was the featured speaker. That day, he spoke about various topics, probably commerce and everything, but then he spoke about his favorite topic, the gospel. He gave the gospel out, and that day there was a there was a wealthy business owner there. His name was Philemon. Philemon was sitting there. And at the meeting, his heart was stirred. Probably after the meeting, he went over to Philemon and says, Man, what you've said, some of this stuff makes sense. Some of this stuff resonates with me. Tell me more. And he basically, you know what Paul did? Paul led Philemon to Jesus Christ. Philemon went home to Mrs. Philemon. What's her name? Aphia. Mrs. Aphia. Okay. So he goes home to Aphia and he tells her and their household comes to Christ. Well, he has this big house, and he's got slaves, and he's got servants, and all these people are doing their bidding for him. So what's going on, man? It's a good time, but they're having Bible study everywhere. Oh, they have this one slave. His name is Onesimus. 
Now, Onesimus, Onesimus kind of getting tired of this God thing. And some of you have been there before. You, you've told me about, man, growing up in this home, and I was beat over the head with religion and the gospel. Anyway, there was Bible study everywhere. You couldn't sleep in on Saturday morning because they were having Bible study in your room. It was just everywhere. So Onesimus says, I've had enough of this. And he takes the money and the jewelry, and he flees to Rome. He takes off. He just goes. Well, the only problem is he's a runaway slave. He's a thug, and he could be punished by death. But guess what? He lands in jail. But that's a good thing. So he lands in jail, and guess where he finds himself? He finds himself incarcerated next to this cool guy named Paul. Oh, no, I've heard about you. You messed my house up. Philemon came to know. So he shares the gospel, and what happens? Onesimus gets saved. Onesimus comes to faith because Paul's active in his faith. And it talks about be active in your faith, sharing in the book. So it's really a good thing. But then he does the most unusual thing. He says, now, Onesimus, I want you to do something. I want you to go back home. Huh? That's what he said. So I read it in the Greek. It's an interesting word how they play on this. Go back home. He says, but wait a minute. Here's what I'm going to do for you, friend. I'm going to write a little letter, and I'm going to give you a sheet of paper, and you can hand that sheet of paper to your landowner. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? And I'm thinking, stupid. And that's what Onesimus thought. But he decides to go back home, and that's when he says, hey, I could order you to do this, but I appeal to you on the basis of love of what you do should do because I was your spiritual father, and I want him to Christ. And, and you're saying, Man, my translation don't read like that. Well, I'm trying to get you to give me a little spiritual license here, but this is the story of Philemon. It's, it's powerful. It, um, he, he comes to this faith, and his life is forever changed. Now, let's move on through this because the thing, here's, here's the whole premise today. Genuine Christianity always matters. Genuine Christianity will make a difference in your life. Now, I'm going to go through some things, how genuine Christianity has affected our world and how it continues to affect the world in 2011. You can think of your own. But listen to this. Here's some examples. Christians that headed the movements to combat human right issues, abuses over the age. One of my favorites is uh, William Wilberforce. He was all about the abolition of slavery. We talked about him here and shown videos. It's an amazing thing. Infanticide, gladiatorial, combat in the Roman Empire, child labor laws, Christians established. Listen to this. Did you know that Christians established the first charitable hospitals? Christians established the first ministries to victims of crime? Christians first... It, it, put into place here the first emergency shelters for the homeless. They put in here the first homes for orphans, the first humanitarian institutions for the insane. They put the first outreaches to prisoners, hospital patients, and soldiers. And they also established the first society for the prevention of the cruelty of animals. So what does that tell me? That Christianity, the real thing, matters. It affects, it infects, it impacts a community. It uh, impacts its world. Here's some other things it does. Has the Christian faith made any difference in education? There's a set of schools called the Ivy League schools. Maybe some of you have attended there. You know, I definitely didn't go there. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, those are just some of the ones that they all start out as religious spiritual institutions. So it made a difference there. Move on to this. How about in literature? Well, of course, literature has been impacted. Pascal, Dickens, Milton, Tennyson, and one of my favorites, C.S. Lewis. The gospel had impacted them, and it, it influenced their writings. Has it made a difference in music? Well, I think so. Bach, Handel, Beethoven, Jeff Bush. Uh, you like that, don't you, Jeff? 
Just kind of put him in there. See, the, the Christian faith has impacted Jeff's faith. It's impacted the music that he writes, the music that he plays. And I'm grateful for that. And the church said, amen. amen. How about art? Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Raphael, Rembrandt, all them, they were influenced by the gospel. So it made a difference there. How about in personal lifestyle? Listen to this. From the uh, Forgotten Factor in Physical and Mental Health National Institute, da, 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 da. I know you're going, I don't really care. Tell me what it is. Here it is. Numerous studies show that religious believers are far less likely than non-believers to commit suicide, abuse drugs or alcohol, experience debilitating stress, get depressed, or get divorced. In other words, personal lifestyle choices are impacted by the gospel. And the church said, I believe it. Absolutely. I mean, if it's not, then you've compartmentalized your faith, and somehow your faith is out here, and, 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 and the things that you do are, are somewhere else, and they're, they're not colliding. And Christ wants it to come and integrate. Here, has it made a difference in suicide? Something that I've been very fascinated as a youth pastor years ago. Persons who do not attend church are four times likely more to commit suicide than frequent church attenders. Now, I'm not saying you go to church, you're not going to commit suicide. That's not what I'm saying. They're just less likely. Did you know church attenders that have the gospel, they're healthier? They live a healthier lifestyle, and they tend to do some things that are healthy, and it affects their health. And I could go on and on, but here's what I want to get into these, these five points of what genuine Christianity does. Get ready to write. Ready? Here it is. Number one, it begins at the right place. Genuine Christianity has to have a foundation. It has to have a starting place. So it starts somewhere. Now, for some of you, because we're a community church, that means I pastor Methodists and pa Baptists and Presbyterian, Episcopalians and Catholics and born-again Jews and Walmart and Costco, and I get them all in there, okay? But here's what I know. For some of you, you think faith started at your infant dedication or your baptism. No. You think, well, my faith started with my baptism. Not necessarily. Hey, my faith started in catechism. Hey, my faith started in confirmation. No, 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 no. The right starting place is the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross. That's, that's where we start. We have to establish our personal faith in Jesus. You're saying, well, how about religious institutions? You'll miss it. I mean, the churches are filled with religious people, and that's not it. So the right place is there. It's first base. In Philippians 4 and 5, he says, but I thank God for you as I remember you in my prayers because the gospel had taken on. Now, I saw something interesting in history. Uh, St. John, tell me what year you were born, sir. Ask St. John, what year were you born, St. John? 1922. 1922. That was a long time ago. Night, thank you, sir. 1922. Well, in 1924, when St. John was just a wee little lad, he was a little boy, there was a ball team called the Washington Senators. And in the bottom of the night, they were playing, I believe, in the World Series, and this guy hit a shot. You baseball players are going to love this. He hit a shot to the wall. He took off the first. He rounded a second. He went for third. And he thought, almost seems like a little kid, because you know what happens all the time when kids are little. He thought, I'm going to get an inside the park home run. He took off for home. He went running, man. He did a big dive. He got in there, and the umpire come running up and go, and you're out of there. Man, the fans went absolutely irate. They jumped up, spit, cuss. Probably didn't go to our church. <laughs> what are you talking about? Are you blind? You want to have these, you umpire? I never did anything like that. Okay. 
He says it wasn't a problem with home. He forgot to touch first base. Oh, I know you go, what an idiot. In the church of Jesus Christ, if you forget to touch first base and you go, but I tithe, I give, I love orphans, I love animals, I give to this, I do that. But you forget to meet Christ. You didn't go to first base. Isn't that a great illustration? I think it makes a point. And I think it's cool that I've got baseball players in the house and understand it. Okay, so it begins at the right place. So here's a touch point. Touch on Christ. Embrace Christ. Believe on Christ. Trust Christ. Secondly, genuine Christianity believes that God is at work. God was certainly at work in the life of Onesimus, as he was Philemon, as he, of course he was in the life of the Apostle Paul, and by his circumstances, by failure, by the people. But what holds us back from believing? I think a lot of times it's discouragement. We, we get tempted or we get tried or we get discouraged because God hadn't come through or our situation doesn't look good. We let fear rise up in our hearts and we're fearful of what's around the corner or what we're facing or we're just a person of anxiety and anxiety begins to fill our heart and our minds and it paralyzes us this morning i'm praying that the the gospel of jesus christ will somehow arrest you from where you are today and get you past that and get you to begin to believe that god is at work he's got something that he's always like you've got to remember this word when you're thinking about god at work it's a four-letter word you can write it down H-O-P-E. you got to have hope. God is at work. Do you have hope in the eternal Christ? The eternal Son of the living God is active in your life. He is working in you. I am convinced. I am determined. I am persuaded. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will perfect it against the day of Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm confident God is at work in me even when you don't see it. But when you see it, you're like, amen. And I go to you. When I see God working in you, I go, amen. And when I don't see him working, I go, horrible. But Christ is at work. And do you have hope? Do you have hope? Not, not in this world, not in your bank, not in your job, not in your family, but hope in Christ. I trust him. You know, there's something interesting. There, when I was in seminary, we learned about the early apostolic fathers of the church. And uh, I remember the one was Ignatius, St. Ignatius. And this is an extracurricular biblical writing. It's not wholly canonized scripture, but it's very true. And all your scholars will adhere to that. But as I was studying this, it talked about the early church, uh, Ignatius here. He was on his way to execution. His life was going to be snubbed out. So, you know, he was probably contemplating and perplexed about what was going on in life. And he wrote this letter to Asia Minor and there to Ephesus. And he, sa he said this in his writing, We have the most wonderful leader, and his name is Bishop Onesimus. And then he quotes some of the letter here at Philemon. You know what that tells me? That God is at work, and God can take, I forgot to tell you this, you need to know this. Onesimus means useful. Onesimus started out like me and you. Onesimus was so useless for God. But when he had his life reorientated, redirected around the Lord Jesus Christ, he became useful for the kingdom of God. And Onesimus became useful.
And yet, here he is, Bishop Philemon, Pastor Philemon, Leader Philemon. But he had to touch first base. He had to have a start. He had to believe that God was at work. It was an awesome, awesome thing. The third thing, I want you to look at this. Genuine Christianity involves unity and reconciliation. When we really are the real deal, we will strive for the bond of peace. We will strive, we will promote, we will pray for, we will labor for unity. Can I just make this plea and this cry, and I hope you'll listen to this uh, message over the years if you ever lose hope. We have to protect the unity of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. And we have to labor and we have to hold hands and hearts. And let me just say this as clear as I know how, we are a faith community we're a faith family. And let me tell you, I held two of the most beautiful little girls I've ever seen today in my life. One of them's asleep and the other one's already gone to the nursery. But you know what? Sometimes, I want to tell you all a secret. Sometimes families don't get along. Just wanted you to know that. Then I'm just going to quit this family. I'm not going to be in it anymore. That's absurd, ludicrous, stupid. Yes, I said it on this stage. Just dumb. But a family tries to find strength in Christ to draw together in their differences, don't they? How about a faith community when we have a difference? We work together. I don't know. Man, I just felt the liberty of the Holy Spirit to try to say that. Somebody needs to hear about unity. Also reconciliation. And here he is. I told you the story. Onesimus and Philemon are at odds because Onesimus ripped off Philemon. Now, let me ask you this. If somebody rips you off this week, are they going to be your new best friend? Negatory. <laughs> it just ain't going to work. Like, man, he ain't my best friend. And the apostle Paul, the spiritual father of them both, he goes, hey, let's make this thing right. I could order you to do this, but be bold. Do the right thing. You know, you know what I've learned? Sometimes it doesn't feel good or it doesn't feel right to do the right thing, but you still do the right thing, don't you? And the church of the living Christ needs to know we got to do the right thing even when we don't feel like it. Or we're like, well, that might cost me. And here in verse 16 and 17, he just begins to uh, talk about walls that obliterate you. Tear them down. Tear them down. Get away with those. Paul would say this. Onesimus, I'll be your advocate. I'm going to write this letter with my hand. And it will go to your owner. And I know he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he believed God, and he prayed, and it went well. And we know it did later, and God changes his life and uses him as a spiritual leader. And, and I, I just wrote in my notes here, there's a, there's a kingdom concept here, I-O-U. There's an I-O-U needed. Write it in your notes somewhere. We all have an I-O-U. We all owe a debt to God that we can't pay. It's called we have sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. We can't make it over. I, I've got a new picture. I, my wife hasn't even seen this. I, I just ordered it, and it just came in. I, I'm so excited. I want to go ahead and tell you from this stage today. When you come in my study for counseling, you come by and see me, there's going to be this new print hanging over my, over my uh, um, couch. Matter of fact, would, 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 would somebody go back there and get it for me real quick? Ben, do you mind? Just walk to my office, but I'm going to keep going. And it just really illustrates this point about uh, uh, owing and, uh, and, and God paying the debt, man. It's all because of the cross. I just, sorry, Ben, I just love you. I'd kiss you, but I won't. Okay, here we go. All right, let's keep going here. Colossians 1.20. It says this, Apostle Paul, through him to reconcile to himself, we get reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Is anybody grateful in the house this morning for the blood of Jesus? 
I need it. I need it this morning. Man, I'm, I'm a sinful man, but I'm redeemed by a precious Savior. The fourth thing, junior Christianity will challenge us to do the hard things. Sometimes there's just a hard thing to do, as I mentioned earlier, and you just have to do it. And let me tell you, Onesimus, man, Onesimus has got a sheet of paper. He's ripped off Philemon, and Paul says, I want you to go home. He goes, I know you're kidding. He says, no, man, you're not going to be used of God if you don't reconcile and make it right. He says, do the hard thing. And when you read this, I want it to be an example to you of doing the hard thing. And we've all got, in this room today, there are people that have some hard things to do this week or this month, and I pray by the mercy of God, you'll do it. Let me, let me ask you this. Come on here, Ben. You, you can be my van. I'll keep it to you, though. I don't want anybody to see it. Turn, there you go. Here you go. Listen to this. What is easier? Just stay here with me a minute, because you just look so good. Here you go. <laughs> Listen to this right here. What is easier? I want you to think about this. Is it easier to hold a grudge or be reconciled? What's more fun? Y'all are failing this test miserably. Okay. I can't wait to get the answer from this one, Ben. And you're a lawyer. What's easier? To get divorced or stay married? Boy, y'all, we, we're struggling here today. Okay, here we go. All right. Ben, they're not doing good. Let's see if they get the, the third one. Is it easier to attend church or to serve the church? All right. I just want to be a spiritual consumer. I'm not on my watch. We've got to serve. Amen? Now, here we go. Ben, you did good. Turn around there, brother. Did you look at it? You take a peek? Yeah, a little bit. Pretty cool, isn't it? I, I want you to just look at this. I, I heard about this. I saw this. Ben, come up. Walk this way with me. We're going to be the moving. I mean, this is just amazing. I want you to see this. Because some of you have never come to my office. Look, look at that. Man, this right here is going to be your pastor's inspiration for many years to come. Here's the lost city. Here's the lost river region. Here's the flames of the eternal hell. Here's an eternal paradise with the Lord Jesus. There's one way, the cross. Isn't that awesome? Man, I'm just, I mean, thank you, Ben. You can just sit over to the side and go back and sit down. I'm sorry I got you up. But, uh, but isn't that awesome? I mean, I'm just saying, man, that's the way. So sometimes we have to do the hard thing. And I, don't, I want you to just think about this today. What's the hard thing that you've got to do? To reconcile with a brother or sister? To make amends? To, to do something that you, you know, you've been trapped by your shameful past? Why stay there when you don't have to? So here, here's the defining moment today. I can be an overcomer. I can overcome in Jesus Christ. Amen? Today, I can choose to serve the living God. I can choose to overcome sin and its impact and its destructive forces in my life. And man, Onesimus, if he was sitting here this morning, he'd go, hey, y'all, I did the hard thing. I thought I was going back, and they were going to take my neck off, cut it off, put it on a platter, and go, here's Onesimus for breakfast. Y'all, I'm reading the Old Testament right now in my quiet time, my personal quiet time. And... Uh, the other day, I've read it many times. I'm reading in Samuel. And have you ever noticed in the Old Testament, it's a little odd. i, I got to be honest with you. They're always cutting these people's heads off and putting them on platters and taking them. I mean, can you imagine me coming over to your house for a dinner party and they got this big silver thing? I'm like, man, this is going to be awesome. And we're having some appetizers beforehand. And then I walk out there and Rick Tree says, hey, main course is coming. And he pulls a can of the top off and there's a head of somebody we all don't like. 
you know, I don't know about you, I wouldn't be ready to eat, would you? I mean, it just like, and you're saying, well, you look like you've had a few meals. I have, but that could ruin my appetite quickly. The defining moment is we overcome in Christ. Let me give you three ways to face your challenges. Number one, you can curse it. You can curse your challenge. You can curse your dog. You can curse your neighbor. You can curse whatever. You can say, I don't believe this is happening. I'm negative. I'm pessimistic. And everybody says, we already know that. And you can curse the whole thing, and there's no victory. Secondly, you can do this. You can nurse it. Oh, woe is me. Poor, poor me. Nobody's ever had this problem. Oh, really? How many people had their central air conditioning units go out over the last 10 years? Raise your hands. Raise them high. Look around the room. Look at a good company. Okay, put them back down. How many of you been sick, had to go to the hospital over the last 5, 10 years? Raise your hands. Okay. Anybody had a hard time paying a bill? Raise your hand. Man, look at all this support group you got in this room. It just happens, doesn't it? And you're not the only one. So don't nurse it, but you can do the third option. This is my favorite. You can reverse it. You can reverse it by the Spirit of Christ. You can uh, take the situation. You can offer it to God and say, Father, teach me in this. Shape my character. Do something redemptive and definitive in me. And I believe our God longs for those kind of hearts that run to him and say, God, define me. Uh, my favorite is Joseph in the Old Testament. Picked on by his brothers, kicked out, sold into slavery. Man, you know, elevated to the second highest command only to Pharaoh. He sits on the board that distributes the food. And his brothers come to him and they tricked him and sold him into slavery. And he gives them food because he's full of mercy and grace. It's just an awesome, awesome story. Let me give you a passage. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it to you real quick. Turn over, but if you wanted to, you could turn to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. I've always loved this verse, and it helps me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So many times, people that are controlled by Satan or the devil himself have thrown situations and oppression into my life, but what could be seen as harm, God wants to use for good in my life and your life if you'll give it to the king. Let me give you the last one. Genuine Christianity is an invitation to come home. Those are great words. Daddy, will you come home? Mama, just come home. Just come back. We'll be nicer. We won't spit on you. We won't make fun of you. We won't, make, we won't be bums. We won't do this. Hey, I'll be faithful. Hey, I'll do this. Just come home. Onesimus I want you to go home. And I think long term, we don't read about it, but I'm sure if there's a Philemon 2 or 3, you would see Philemon basically with his arm around his fellow slave that now became a brother. And he'd say these words. Onesimus, I'm glad you came home, my brother. I'm glad you came home. This morning, would you come home? Would you come home? You, you've been far off in a distant land, squandering your inheritance, living in sin, living in stupid life, the sexual, the lustful, the sinful, pride-filled life. And today God says, would you hear that message? Would you come home? Come home to me. Man, that's what I get. I get the gospel out of this little postcard in the scripture. 
in his love for the saints and how he's active in sharing his faith. And on the very bottom of your outline, you see it. There's a simple outline. It could be in four Ps. You know, pastors love to alliterate. And I'll stand back so I don't spit on you. Verses 4 through 8 is the, the passion, the love of God. It's, it's, it's incredible. This, uh, this passion is all-consuming. I want you to go to verse 8. It's the power of God. There's a boldness in his life because God's there. God's working. Christ has set up rule. He's, he's ruling. Then there's the, the payment of God in verse 17 and 18. God makes a way. He makes a payment for us through the cross of Jesus Christ, this debt of gratitude that we have. And then in verse 23 through 24, I just want you to look here. Then he talks about the, the people of God. And look at them. There's Epaphras, my fellow prisoner for Christ, sends you greetings. And so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke. They're my fellow workers. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ now be with your spirit now and forever. Epaphras is just a local spiritual leader. He's a pastor. Mark is the young guy, John Mark, that quits on a missionary journey with Paul, but he gets, gets it right in the end. Aristarchus is the guy that goes through tough times and tough places and has no fear. Demas is a guy that's uh, on fire for God, but later in his life he, he messes up and he loses his fire and he uh, forsakes his first love. And Luke is that wonderful physician we read about in the gospel that he's our, he's our friend, he's our writer. And then earlier in the chapter, Paul says this. He says, Philemon, prepare a guest room for me. I'm going to come to your house. I want to check up on the progress that Onesimus and you have made. It's a beautiful story of grace and redemption. This morning, I pray that God has used his holy word to call you to your senses, to his grace. Let's pray. Father, how good it is to be with your children this morning. And maybe there's one that's far off or has drifted or has never acknowledged Jesus Christ to be the Savior and Lord of their life. And today they would come and they would confess their sin, their guilt before a holy God. And now they would cry out and say, Jesus, save me. Have mercy on me. Come and enter my heart today and be born. Save me, Lord. Cleanse me by your blood and be my Savior and Lord. I give you first place. I want to start with you at the cross. I will follow you from this day forward. I will believe in my heart that Jesus died for me and I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says you'll be saved with every head bowed. If anybody made that prayer of faith today, would you raise your hand? Raise it high. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Maybe it could be others. There's two right there. Just quickly, man. Say, man, that's my prayer today. Praise God. That's right. Put your hands together. It's time to rejoice, man. Amen. Thank the Lord. Well, man, that's a story of grace. All right, here it is. Next week... Okay, I want to do this. How many are going to be in town next week? Just raise your hands. All right, 36 of us. No, I don't know. Okay. Y'all be here and invite some people to come with you, but sign up today. Go to the visitor center and sign up and say, count me in for that picnic. Let me tell you what's going to happen. The service is going to end, and we're going to go, hey, it's party time. And, whoa. and we're going to go ahead and have the biggest picnic you've ever seen. And I hope you'll be there. So if you're in town next week, hey, why don't you come by God's house? He'll be here, and we'll worship the king. Somebody close that for me, please. Okay.
Hey, I, that's my point. Hey, if y'all need any pitch runners for the biscuits, don't call me. Call Jeff Bush. He has wheels. Okay. Hey, you're dismissed, man. Thanks for being here today. See you next weekend. Not a